Hi there. This is Greg Fish. Thanks so much for coming along as I read chapters from my book, Because I'm Richard's Son. It's a collection of short stories that all tie together with a message, I think, for those who struggle with measuring up in life. And I hope it means something to you. If you'd like to know more about the book, check it out at CorbinFosterMedia.com. That's CorbinFosterMedia.com. This is a CorbinCast podcast. And today's chapter that I'll be sharing with you is entitled, The Phone Call. Red eyes and a volcanic flow of snot and tears are not a public speaker's friend. It messes with your senses and it probably presents far too many unanswerable questions to those who come to listen to what you have to say. As I press that flat, glass-cold iPhone to the side of my face on that early Sunday morning, I took a deep breath, reminding myself that I'd better not let these high emotions get the best of me. I had a congregation to tend to. I had a message to bring on that Sabbath day. High emotions were, at the moment, living large in my chest, like the steam rising from those foothills of the Allegheny where I lived. I was fairly certain that my anxiety was about to spring out of me and rise in great visual display for all to see. For many months, I had been absorbing the reality of Dad's cancer. Pancreatic cancer, to be more specific. As that insipid disease wore away at his body, it caverned a deep, dark hole into my spirit. I was serving as pastor at a church in a beautiful region near the place where the Ohio River carved a ridge between the Buckeye State and West Virginia. Getting back to southern Indiana required six long hours of travel time, not to mention that my wife Barbara was struggling with a life-threatening illness. Six long hours and a wife with health issues made regular visits difficult. That meant that every time I could go, cancer had broken down dad even more. Just when I thought he couldn't lose any more weight, his formerly solid muscular frame would appear even more fragile. In the hours before the congregation would arrive at the church that Sunday morning, I paced the floor of that spacious office praying, but mostly telling God what he ought to think about this mess. Finally, I had reached an epiphany. Without consulting Barbara or asking God what he thought of the idea, (laughs) I decided to leave the church and go back home to help care for Dad. Never mind that I had no idea what I would do for a job. Those pesky little gnat-like thoughts couldn't be bothered with at a time like this. Somehow, I just knew Dad would answer the phone. And as always, he sounded glad to hear me. After a few moments of small talk, I took a deep breath and opened my heart to Dad. You're not doing well, and I feel so guilty about being so far away. I decided to quit so I can come home and be with you. Throughout my growing up years, Dad would proclaim that he would work me like a barred mule. (laughs) At least I thought that's what he was saying. In my mind, I pictured the poor, overworked mule attached to some wooden beam, holding a cart as a leather strop whipped into his back. 
In recent years, I revisited this colloquial saying of Dad's and realized I was only hearing his country boy pronunciation. What he was telling me was I was about to be worked like a borrowed mule. The implication is that something borrowed is treated more harshly than something owned. There's nothing violent about Dad's intent at all. His sense of humor escaped me at the time. My dad was the hardest working man I've ever known, and he knew that the younger version of me could never work with the same vigor or passion that he applied. But be certain, be very certain, I would encounter hard work. I thought that I was being driven like a barred mule. Turns out, I was learning the value of hard work. Another misperception that has been peeled away by age is the one that kept me from seeing Dad as my protector and defender. Introducing me to hard work was a form of protecting me from the ravages of laziness. This man, who seemed like a ruthless taskmaster, was my advocate. He looked out for me. It's no wonder that when the moment arrived, My very nature cried out for me to look out for Dad. The intrinsic lesson he peppered into my soul was that one of the main jobs of life is to work hard at looking after each other. Maybe that meant we spent hours working in the garden. Maybe that meant grunting as we chopped wood for winter fires. Maybe it meant that we went the extra mile for someone in need. That ethic has been etched into my bones, and the etching could be a bit painful at times. The pain of my tears in contemplating Dad's death, and the pain of feeling like I was contributing so little of value to Dad's last days, drove me to work harder. I needed to take up the challenging task, put my back into it, let the sweat pour from my brow. There was hard work to be done, and doing it now came naturally. Now, about that phone call, I took a deep breath, a holy pause. Then I got to the reason I called. You're not doing so well, and I feel so guilty about being so far away. I've decided to quit so that I can come home and be with you. In the hours before I was to lead worship as pastor of Beginning Point Church, my anxiety over Dad's battle with pancreatic cancer was peaking. Miles away from him, in that idyllic little hamlet, the distance from home also served as a measuring stick for my distress at being away. I was confident that the only option left was to leave the ministry and returned to Columbus, Indiana to help care for Dad. Dad had been called into pastoral ministry, and it was one of the aching regrets of his life that he failed to go. Don't get me wrong, there are many ways to minister the love and good news of Jesus into the world, but the call to be a pastor is a rare, unique thing essential to taking leadership of a church. Dad had that call. As a young believer, fresh out of the military and gleaming with spirit-infused potential, Dad was invited to serve as an associate pastor by a well-regarded minister. Dad couldn't clearly explain why he passed 
on the opportunity. In subsequent years, he proved to be a powerful presence in the Columbus, Indiana Free Methodist Church as a layman. He was loved as a teacher, leader, and occasional speaker. There was a certain country boy charm to Dad's sincere, genuine way of explaining Scripture. Though he was never schooled in exegesis or homiletics, he spent hours reading commentaries and books on theology. His seminary was the humble green vinyl and duct tape recliner where he purchased by the hot stove to study late into the evening after a hard day. Following Mom's death, there was a point at which Dad once again weighed the possibility of diving fully into some sort of ministry. This time, he contemplated missionary work. Once again, he sat aside the calling. But isn't it amazing how God can still use us in our reluctance to obey? Dad may not have served as a minister of God on foreign soil, but he was undoubtedly a firebrand evangelist wherever he set his feet, and God blessed that work. Then there was the calling that fell upon his son. (laughs) That would be me. Have you ever watched a sporting event where an athlete had just accomplished a mind-blowing feat? And a reporter sticks a mic into the face of a glowing father who shines with pride for his offspring? I suspect you would have seen a similar reaction from Dad had there been any interest from any of the major networks when I finally said yes to my calling into pastoral ministry. In the weeks before I accepted the leadership mantle at my first church, Dad gleefully bought me a new suit. He was clothing me with his enthusiastic approval. The suit would symbolize Dad's presence with me as I went forward into the arduous task of the pastorate. It still nestled in my closet. From that point forward, for the remainder of his life, whenever there was a move to be made to a new church, Dad would be there helping me pack, load, move, unload, unpack, and settle in. He would survey a new parsonage and declare without fail, even when it may have been an overstatement, Son, this is a fine place to live. A fine place. Dad would visit my churches and love building relationships with my congregations. Son, these are mighty fine people. Mighty fine. And when he would hear me deliver a sermon, his praise and encouragement were never sparse. That was a fine sermon, son. Fine sermon. Even when we disagreed about my ministry approach, there was no mistaking his pride in my work. Once, as I prepared to lead a congregation through a radical course of action, Dad cautioned me, son, I'm not sure you ought to do that. We old people don't like change. (laughs) I would smile and pat his arm. With a deep sigh, he affirmed that he would pray and even support me, though he didn't like the direction. After all, he knew I was following the Holy Spirit as best I could. He would eventually draw in a deep breath and nod his head. You'll do fine, son. You'll do fine. I believe that Dad was living vicariously through me in those days. I am a part of Richard Fish, 
I walk and breathe and speak and teach and reach out with a body made of strong stock. Even now, as Dad is gone from this earth, I sense his presence in my work. I do very few things that I don't eventually realize that I am my father's son. My work as a pastor is an integral part of who I have been in this life, and it's also something that made my dad incredibly proud. Dad may not have said yes to being a full-time pastor, but he went into the ministry with me. There was no reluctance or hesitation in me at all. I would have left the pastoral ministry right at the moment of that phone call in the late 2012 and gone to Dad's side. Yet I failed to realize how I had never actually left his side. I'll come home and be with you. That was my message to my dying father. The words he said next are forged into my soul like steel. They are words that were so monumental, I suspect God himself breathed them directly into Dad's spirit as he delivered his response. Oh, son, Dad sighed, you're doing exactly what God called you to do, and I've never felt closer to you in my life. It was an anointing. It was a blessing. It was a charge and a commission. It was to be a keystone moment. To have left the ministry would have been tantamount to Dad himself walking away from God. There was to be no turning away from what God called me to do. Dad and I were always together through those days, even when we were distant. And today, as my ministry work has taken different forms and functions, I still feel that presence with me just as sure as God himself has constantly been abiding. Richard, where is Greg? Someone might have asked him in those last months. Where has your son been? Oh, he isn't here right now, he could have replied. But I've been with him every day, every second. In the same way, we are never too far away to experience the full power of God's love in our lives. I love that line from Psalm 25 that says, He, that is God, shows the proper path to those who go astray. While I wasn't astray from God, my logic had failed me when I decided to leave the ministry to care for Dad. The correction I received was the reminder that because I was following closely to the calling of God, my dad felt closer to me than ever. I remind myself of that often. God shows me the right path when my thinking goes off-center or my logic fails me. He reminds me that He is with me. Without God's divine and empowering presence, I could not do the things I've been called to do. Dad's words to me on the day of the phone call still reverberate in my heart and mind. Those were formative words, instructive words, and life-changing words. They came in a moment that both summed up my history and future in one tidy phrase, a combination of words no doubt breathed full of God's holy guidance. I was doing what God had called me to do, and Dad felt closer to me than ever. 
As I walk this pathway with the memories of Dad once again, I am renewed and strengthened for whatever the final decades of my journey bring. I can find my way forward. I remember Dad's loving ways that I once interpreted as tyrannical, and I find that I need to trudge on through whatever challenges may come. I am enriched, empowered, and enlivened because I'm Richard's son. <laughs>